as we turn to your word now, we pray uh, that your spirit uh, would empower us through our minds and our hearts to receive that which you have for us. As we look to the very words of Jesus and uh, talk about what these might mean for our lives, I pray we would understand them rightly. And then, Lord, not to be afraid to apply them courageously to our lives. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a series right now talking about adjustments. Uh, Simply put, what are some of the adjustments that are needed in order to be a Christian and to live the Christian life? And and one of the things I want to do to get you thinking today about this idea of adjustments is just to simply try to latch on to the fact that in life, some adjustments are bigger than others. Have you all learned that up to this point? It's really true. I can remember when I was in junior high going to high school, I I thought, wow, what a huge adjustment this is. And then I went from high school to college. And I was like, well, okay, that made junior high look like junior high. And then I I went from college to grad school and then grad school to the work world. And I can tell you that each adjustment as a young man that way uh, made the other one pale in comparison. Uh, My girls have experienced that. My girls are now in the marketplace after going to college and university, and and, and they used to whine in college, like how busy they are and how tough it is. And I used to smile and think to myself, you wait, right? And and now one's a school teacher and one's in business, and they come home after a long day and said, Dad, we had no idea. And what do you say as a parent? Welcome to reality, right? Right? What are they experiencing? They're experiencing what we all do, and that is that sometimes in life, some adjustments are bigger than other adjustments. Uh, We've all learned that in life. And so I began this series a few weeks ago by talking about a one degree of adjustment. That was my opening salvo as we uh, talked about this series. Uh, But let's face it, I I was wrong. (laughs) Sometimes in life, it's going to take more than just one degree of adjustment when we truly understand what Jesus is saying to us. And that's what we're going to find as we dive into the word today. That We've looked at two adjustments so far in John 12 as we're allowing Jesus to adjust our lives. And the two adjustments we've looked at have been profound. The adjustment to go from need-based giving to God-based giving is a huge adjustment. And then to go from seeing life or seeing Jesus as to what he can do for us to seeing what he has done for us, which is what we did last week, that's a huge adjustment. But I got to warn you, the adjustment that we're going to look at today is going to make both of those look like child's play. It really is. And yet, like those other two adjustments, the adjustment we're going to look at today promises to pay off big if you're willing to follow Jesus in this adjustment. So, enough introduction. Let's read about it. We're in John 12 for this series. Uh, Some of Jesus' last and final public interactions and words to the crowds. He's just entered Jerusalem for the last week of his life before his death and resurrection. And so let's read about what happens next. John 12, verses 20 to 27. If you brought a Bible, you can follow along. If not, here's the monitor. It's also on your outline. It was provided for you. So let's all get the word of God before us. It says, now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew Philip came, Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal, to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Now, folks, I got to tell you, this is a very fascinating scene before us. It really is. It's Passover time for the Jews. You might remember from last week, it's a huge celebration going all the way back to the time of Moses when God delivered the Israelites from the clutches of Pharaoh and got them journeying toward the promised land. And Jerusalem in Jesus' day would balloon up to over a quarter of a million people during the Passover time who came to worship and to offer sacrifices and to thank God for his mighty acts. And John tells us right off the bat here that there were some Greeks at this Passover celebration. And you gotta ask if you're a discerning reader at all, what's that about? I mean, it's a Jewish celebration. Think about this with me. Greeks or Gentiles, as they were called back then and today, simply anybody who was not Jewish, they had their own religion back then. Think Zeus and Apollos and all the other mythological gods of the Greek religion. And so what would they be doing at a Jewish festival? I mean, if you're a Christian here today, my guess is you don't celebrate Ramadan, which is a Muslim festival. If, uh, if we have an Easter service, which we will this next year, there won't be too many Hindus with us that day. And so the question really becomes real. What were Greeks doing at this Passover celebration? And though some might think that maybe these were what the Bible refers to as Hellenistic Jews, Greeks who had converted to Judaism, the problem with this line of thought is that when, the, when a Hellenistic Jew appears in the New Testament, and they do at times, the wording in the original Greek makes it very clear that these are Hellenistic Jews. And here, the word simply means Greeks. And so it really isn't even Hellenistic Jews it's talking about. These are Greeks at the Passover celebration. And so what most Bible experts agree upon is that these Greeks might be what we call today seekers. That's what they were. They were seekers. Like some of us who had grown up in a certain religious tradition but found it wanting as an adult and thus began a journey of seeking God through something that felt a little bit more relevant, these Greeks most likely were fed up with all the mythology of the whole Greek God system because it is kind of crazy and and so they were drawn to the rich history of Judaism and maybe even this Jesus that everybody is buzzing about so they're at the Passover event here seeking some type of truth uh, and these Greeks then are in major seeker mode and wanting to make the most of their journey they request an audience with Jesus and it's kind of humorous. They do so by going to Philip, who has a Greek name. And so they thought, well, maybe he can get us in with Jesus. Even though Philip was a Jew, he had a Greek name. But Philip really doesn't have any pull. So he goes to Andrew. And some of you are going, what's that about? Well, Andrew, if you might remember, was really good at introducing people to Jesus. 
He brought his brother Peter to Jesus. He brought the little boy with the fishes during the feeding of the 5,000 to Jesus. And, and so Philip and Andrew kind of collude together and they go to Jesus and say, there's some Greeks that want to meet with you. And it's here that things take a turn, the likes of which nobody was expecting. And that is that Jesus responds with words that cut right to the core of it all. Uh, Bible experts are actually torn on whether as Jesus is speaking these words to, to Andrew and Philip or to the Greeks or to both. It's not very clear. Jesus just starts speaking. I tend to think that he was speaking to all of them that he was speaking to the Greeks because certainly he'd give an audience to them and to the two disciples, if not the other ones that were there. And Jesus begins his words by announcing that his hour had come, that it was time for him to be glorified. And again, if you never read the Gospel of John before, you might wonder what that is. But John's used that phrase, hour, a lot. It simply means the hour of Jesus' death that Jesus is going to go to the cross to die for the sins of humankind. And the, way, the reason that it brings God glory or that Jesus is going to be glorified is because he's giving his life so that we might have a chance at knowing God through faith in Jesus. And then Jesus gives a very clear word picture. He was so good at word pictures. He says that it's only when a, when a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies that it germinates and produces more wheat. And the thing we have to wrestle with is that some people think, well, maybe that is a precursor to what he's about to say, or it's just backing up what he did just say. And, and again, it's not very clear. I tend to think it's backing up what he just said. Jesus just said, his hour has come. He's going to die for us. And then he says, but here's the deal. When I die, just like when a wheat germ goes to the ground and dies, it then produces more fruit. Jesus is going to die and produce for us the fruit of forgiveness and a life eternally with God. Now, folks, here's where it gets really rich, as if this were not rich enough. Think about it. Jesus could have stopped right here with his teaching, right? I mean, what did he just do? He, he just gave us the gospel. He just said, my hour has come. It's time to be glorified. Here's a word picture so you simpletons can get it and truly understand the gospel. And he could have just said to the Greeks, see, there it is. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's what I'm about to do for you. But he doesn't. He goes on to say something that I'm telling you would have totally rocked their thinking. I know it rocks mine. Let's read it one more time so that we're very clear on it because it forms the major adjustment that Jesus is going to put before us here today. Look one last time at verses 25 and 26. Jesus, after already laying out his hour and his glory and the wheat germ analogy, now says, he who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, folks, here's what we have to, to see and wrestle with today. I've been reading these words for 35 years, ever since I became a Christian and I've read all sorts of commentaries and Bible experts on this. And one of the most popular things when it comes to this passage here is that we just don't take it at face value. 
I mean, I've actually read theologians that have tried to say, well, you know, Jesus is probably speaking hyperbole here, you know, overstating things for the sake of effect. He doesn't really mean you have to hate your life. He doesn't really mean that if you love your life, that that's a bad thing. And they kind of try to reword what Jesus is saying. And before you get done with it, you go, wow, well, he sure must have meant something different than what he said because the way you just said it is very different than the way he seems to be saying it. And so you and I need to park in front of this and, and clearly understand, just even before we apply it to our lives, let's just understand what Jesus is saying here and what he means here. Let's understand what C.S. Lewis would call the weight of glory in Jesus' words here. So let's do a deep dive. But when Jesus uses the word life here, either loving your life or hating your life, it's the Greek word suke, which literally means your very soul. The Greek word suke refers to the inward self of a person, all the things, and this is a beautiful thing, all the things that make you, you, your personality, your temperament, your natural talents, your idiosyncrasies. Suke is that mind, that emotion, that spirit that resides in every human being made in the image of God. It's the core of who you are that makes you you. It's your life. And Jesus is saying that if you love your suke, if you love your life, your very self, you're going to lose it. So what does the word love mean here? That word love is the Greek word phileo. It simply means to like something a lot to make something a really good friend. In fact, phileo is the Greek word for friendship. It means to love in such a way, now watch this, that you prioritize it above everything else. It's a term of priority, right? And so again, if you have a good friend, think of your best friend, you will tend to prioritize your best friend above everything else, as you should. That's phileo. And Jesus says that if we love our very selves this way, if you phileo your suke, then you're going to lose your very self. And again, just so we're clear on this, gang, it's a strong word that Jesus uses here for lose. There's no way of watering that thing down. In the Greek, the word literally means to destroy, to disappear, to die. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I, I find humor in almost everything. I mean, I'm reading the commentaries this week, and some commentators say, well, what Jesus is doing here is giving a, they call it a warning passage. Don't you love that? A warning passage. I go, it sounds like an outright threat to me. A warning pa I know what a warning is. A warning is when you get caught speeding, and the policeman says, I'm going to give you a warning. This doesn't seem like that. Does it seem like that to you? He says that if you love your life, it's going to die. It's going to disappear. It's going to be destroyed. Jesus is saying here, don't phileo your life, your suke, or it will be gone. So again, I like how, I mean, I don't want pick it on the commentators. I like how one guy, Leon Morris, in the International Commentary on the New Testament, Nidnit for short, uh, says this. He says, loving life is a self-defeating process. It destroys the very life it seeks to retain. And, and, and he's saying that's what Jesus is saying here. And, and I think he nailed it. Jesus is saying love your very self by prioritizing it over and against all other things and you will not have any life left. You'll be a self-absorbed narcissist separated from God and everybody else around you. 
And as if that were not enough, again, you got to love Jesus' style, he then clarifies it even further by saying that conversely, if you hate your life, again, using that word suke, your soul, you will keep it all the way to eternal life. And again, it's strong and rich words used here. That word hate is actually a very fascinating word in the Old Testament and New Testament. It's the uh, Greek word meseo, and and it literally means, now watch this, because this is one word that is tricky in the English. That that word hate there literally does mean to love less. It's actually used in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, to refer to loving two things in your life, but as we all know, one's going to kind of edge out over the other. And that the thing that you love less, that's the usage of the Greek word meseo in the Old Testament there. And so what many suggest that Jesus is saying here is that he's saying that when you hate your life, it means to give less priority to your very life. And that when you do this, a new kind of life, eternal life, will come your way, which means life with God eternally and life with God now. And folks, when you finally get this, the question becomes, well, if I'm not supposed to love my life but hate it in the sense of making it less of a priority than the more important things around me, then what are those other more important things around me that are supposed to take priority? Wouldn't that be the key question? So what is it Jesus is saying if I'm not going to emphasize me in this world? What should I emphasize in this world? And with laser beam precision, Jesus answers this question in verse 26. Do you remember what he says? He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And he who follows me will be honored by the Father. So Jesus is telling these Greek seekers, and by extension you and I, that we are to prioritize him with our very lives. That we are to lose our life so that his life and his way and even who he is personally as our Lord and Savior takes priority. Jesus couldn't have been more clear. Kind of using similar words in Matthew 10, on a different occasion, Jesus would say it this way. He would say, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So so that's key, wouldn't you say? He's not just saying, you know, don't emphasize yourself. He's saying, de-emphasize yourself. Emphasize me and who I am as your Savior and Lord in your very life. And you'll find more life than you ever thought possible. And then Jesus would even add loving other people into the mix. Isn't that rich? Look at Matthew 22, 36 or 37 through 40. He says in talking about the two greatest commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. So imagine that you're a Greek seeker in the first century. Again, this is kind of comical to me. I mean, they just wanted an audience with Jesus. They just wanted to interact with him a little bit. And yet they got so much more, didn't they? I mean, they got from Jesus the very heart and core of what the gospel and even all the Christian life is to be about. Losing your very self through faith in Jesus and love of others and then finding yourself Once again, in the process, 
And so, gang, now you're ready for the adjustment that exists for you and me today, for seekers and believers alike. Because, again, this was originally given, this teaching, to seekers and believers, and here it is. And that's what Jesus is saying, that all of us need to go at some point in our life from loving life to learning what it means to lose your very suke, to lose your very life in Jesus and in love of others, and only then are you truly living the Christ life. That's what Jesus is saying. <laughs> I'm so good at predicting all of you, I really am. I predicted in my office this week that the second I dropped this adjustment on you, you'd be able to hear a pin drop. And you know why? One, you're being very thoughtful, but also this is a very, very sobering, if not difficult adjustment to think about for our lives, isn't it? I mean, it flies in the face. Are you going to go out and get a bumper sticker today that says, lose your life? Are you going to go to work tomorrow in, in sophisticated Scottsdale or Phoenix, wherever you give me? say, man, I heard this amazing sermon yesterday. Can I tell you about it? You need to lose your life. You need to take that good life bumper sticker off your car. Because guess what? Jesus doesn't call us to the good life. He calls us to lose our very life. I, again, some of you are saying amen. But I'm telling you, you're weird. You're not the norm. <laughs> I love you because I'm with you. But, but I'm telling you, the, the, the vast majority of even Christians today don't want to have this conversation. Because folks, when you finally get... What Jesus is talking about here, that life is only found in losing your very self, in Jesus your Savior, and in loving and living for others. And that you won't find life by prioritizing yourself, which our world tells us to do. When you finally get this, I'm telling you, this becomes one of the most hardest, if not the hardest adjustment that our fallen and selfish souls can make. It, it really does. I was thinking this week, why, I mean, outside of the obvious, why is this so hard for us to even want to talk about today? And, and why is it that theologians, again, we kind of want to make Jesus' words here hyperbolic and well, he doesn't really mean what he says and all that. And, and, and I drew a little chart in my home office, and I think, I think this is of the Lord. I think this is uh, wisdom from him. And, uh, and, I, and I wrote on the left side, again, I'm a Greek geek, phileo suke, which you guys all know now means love of self. And I thought, what's really involved? What's Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying that's wrong with loving self? Like, what would be the intricacies of that? And it hit me that when you love yourself, four things are going on. And that's that you're engaging in self-priority, self-promotion, self-protection, and self-preservation. Am I right? I mean, again, go with me on this, gang. Think about your day. If you wake up every day and say, it's all about me. I'm going to prioritize me. I, I, I'm going to get my way today. I'm going to get that business deal. I'm going to make my employees do what I want them to do. My, my wife or husband is going to get along with me because I'm going to take the bull by the horns. If it's all about you uh, from, get, from, from the moment you wake up, then the very next thing you're going to do, now tell me if this isn't true, is that you're going to promote yourself, right? Because if you prioritize yourself, you're going to promote yourself. So, so you're going to talk about yourself all day long and what you're going to do and what you're going to accomplish and all these things. And then think about this with me because this really does, it, it goes in ascending order. After you promote yourself, you're now out there. So the only thing you can do is now protect yourself, right? Because you've put yourself out there. You've made it about you. 
And so as soon as you promote yourself throughout the day, now you're protecting yourself all day long. And then you go to bed and because it's all been about you, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, because it's all been about you, you're going to go to bed with one thought on your mind and that's how can I preserve myself. I actually did something kind of fun this week. I, um, I actually typed into Google, um, you know, self-love. Try it when you get home. And, and, and boy, self-love. And one of the things that kind of astounded me is how there's actually articles. I mean, like, even from, like, the American Psychological Association that defend this left side of the equation here. They actually say that if you don't emphasize yourself... If you do not prioritize yourself first, you will never find mental health. That's the argument. And I sit there and go, wow, could it be more opposite in our world of what Jesus is telling us? Because look at the right side of the equation. I love this. Phileo suke, love of self. Missio, remember what that word missio means? To love less, or translated here, hate the self. So to love yourself less means that you prioritize God and others in the rank of things. And then, watch this, instead of self-promotion, you engage in self-denying. Instead of self-protection, you engage in self-sacrifice. Instead of self-preservation, you engage in self-giving. And what a, what a markedly different equation this is for you and I. To wake up each day and say, I think I'm going to make today more about God and more about others. That's my commitment as part of a kingdom player. And then as you do that, you go throughout the day and you're going to find that when your self is tempted to be promoted, you say, you know what, like John the Baptist, I must decrease and he must increase. You find yourself denying yourself in a healthy way. We're not talking about being worms. We're talking about being servants of the living God. And then as you are tempted to protect yourself, you say, you know what? It might be time to sacrifice so that somebody else might get ahead, so that somebody else might know Jesus, so that somebody else might experience love. And then instead of preserving yourself, you find yourself giving yourself. See, I think that's what's at stake here, guys. And again, our modern culture says take care of yourself first, then move on to God and others. Jesus flies in the face of that. And he says, no, if you prioritize yourself first, <laughs> you're going to lose your very life because it's all going to be about you and you're really not the point. I love you. I came to die for you. But it's really about learning to live for me and learning once you live for me to live my life by pouring into others. And here's the catch 22 of all of this, but it's a good catch 22. And that is that Jesus says that if you learn to do that, you're going to get life eternal. Which, by the way, doesn't just mean heaven. Like other people go, oh, it gets me to go to heaven. I get to be miserable here and then go to heaven. No, that's not what that means. What that means is, is that life eternal means that it's life that starts now, but it's life in God that gives you joy, that takes you all the way into heaven. That's eternal life according to Jesus. As you guys know, I read a lot of C.S. Lewis. He's one of my favorite authors. Lewis died uh, about one month before I was born. Uh, Lewis died in, in, I think, December, November, December 63, and I was born in 64, January 64, and I find that ironic because I, I read everything he's ever done, just about, and I continue to reread it. 
I reread uh, his book, The Weight of Glory, and other addresses this summer. And my favorite quote from The Weight of Glory is this. And, and, and again, it's kind of rich, so hang in there with this, but this is powerful. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around or fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Do you get what he's saying here? I love this. He's basically saying that you and I, made in the image of God, creatures are half-hearted because we think that we're going to find joy in drink and sex and ambition. Or maybe for you, it's your hobby or whatever you would do to prioritize self. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things. Lewis would go on to, go on to write that drink and sex and ambition are all good things in their place. But we think they're going to bring us the joy we're looking for. He said, you know what that's like? That's like a kid who's making mud pies in the slum. Picture that one. You know, you're in the mud trying to make mud pies. When you've been offered a holiday at the sea to make sandcastles. And he says, by you making mud pies, you're way too easily pleased. And that's the point. Is that some of you really think that by pursuing your life and the things that you want now and all the tangible things around you is going to bring you the joy you're looking for? Jesus says, hogwash. It's not going to happen. It's going to bring you a little bit of joy initially. And then tell me if this isn't true, gang. It fades fast, right? We get the next thing and then we're on to the other. We get a little bit more money, now we want more. But we have one relationship as it is pathetic and it doesn't work out, so off to the next. And that's why there's so many relational breakdowns today. Jesus is saying, find your satisfaction in me. Find your sufficiency in me. Make me the solid rock of your life. And now you will have something to build upon. But I'm telling you, gang, it's a major adjustment to go from finding your life by prioritizing yourself to losing your life by following Jesus. And here's what we also need to know. And this, maybe this will take a little bit of pressure off for some of you here today, but just a little bit. And that is that it does take a lifetime to learn this. Amen? One of the things that drives me nuts about Christians is that sometimes people, and you've heard this too, sometimes people will try to present this stuff as if it's binary. You know, as if it's like, well, either you're doing it or you're not. It's like, when you're in, you're out. You know, and, and I sit there and go, really? Really? That, that doesn't feel like what Jesus is saying that to me. He's talking to Greek seekers here. I, I really don't think Jesus' next words to the Greek seekers would have been, well, are you in or are you out? I mean, I think he's basically just, he's wetting their whistle and he's saying, all right, gang, here's what it's about. It's about losing your life in me. You can't believe they're scratching their head a little bit and go, really? That sounds like it might take a while, Jesus. And what would Jesus say to that? Yeah, it would. So, so get on the train now and start to enjoy the ride because it is going to take a while. See, here's how I know that is true, guys. <laughs> That's it. As I mentioned earlier, I've been a Christian 35 years this year. I'm celebrating 35 years of accepting Christ. That, that's a long time. I've been, no, well, thank you. Yeah, I've been a pastor uh, for 30 years. And that, again, I've never done anything else. And here's my point. Don't clap at this, please, because it'll make me feel bad. But I feel like I'm a three-year-old when it comes to what we're talking about here today. I really am. Somebody last night said, boy, you're so hard on yourself. I, I don't think I'm hard on myself. I, I think you guys really need to hear that. I'm almost embarrassed. I'm almost ashamed even to speaking on this subject today, even though I sound so bold on it. I sound, you know why I sound so bold on it? Because I'm speaking to who? Me. I'm speaking to me. 
I, I wake up every day, and I'm telling you, gang, this is my only, you know, I don't have a story for you today. I don't have, a, I don't have any practical application because I don't want to adulterate Jesus' teaching with any of that. Here's the thought I want to leave you with today, and that's that I wake up every day, and I can promise you at the least this, this is my battle every day. How about you? I mean, this is my battle. Uh, my challenge to you as we uh, wrap this up, because we have just a few minutes left here, is to, um, to try to do what I do, <laughs> and that is to try to audit your everyday interactions in light of whether you're losing your life in Jesus and in others or whether you're trying to gain your life. And by audit every interaction, I mean just pause, maybe even on the hour. Try it for one day this week. Just pause and ask yourself the simple question, am I in losing mode right now or am I in selfish winning mode right now? Audit your very soul and see what happens. See, here's how hard this battle is. I, uh, I wake up every day and I've kind of bragged you guys before that I try to wake up every day and, and, and look to God. And though it's true that many days I do that, I will also tell you that that's a huge battle for me. Because you, you might laugh at this, but honestly, I wake up every day, and you know what usually my very first thought is? Me. What did I dream last night? Oh, boy, I need to go use the bathroom. Oh, what's my schedule today? I better get on with my schedule today. And one of the reasons I try to discipline my mind to think of God is because even many times before I think of God, I realize I'm already thinking of me. And again, some of you are going, well, that's not bad. I mean, you know, we, we all need to give care to our lives. Here's the amazing thing about that. No one will probably affirm this is that, is that the backdrop of Jesus' words are, by nature, we're going to give pretty good care to our lives. We're fairly self-protective people by nature. And so Jesus says, yeah, there are times where you have to prioritize that, but you're going to do that pretty well. The real battle will be learning to focus on God and look to others. So after I try to focus on God, I then get out of bed and try not to make it about me. But then I, then I get here to the church and the staff throw all these problems at me. And many times my battle is waging as I go throughout my day because I have to discipline myself. Now watch this, to make decisions that are prayerful and that are best for the church and best for the people that I am serving, not a decision that just always seems right to me or that even might benefit or promote me. And again, that's a bit of battle that many of you have in business and education and other things is that you walk through the day and you want to make it all about you. When Jesus says, no, make it all about him and all about others. <laughs> and, this, and this one really takes the cake is that I work hard and you know, do all the things that I do here as a pastor to, to love God and love the church. And then I come home. And again, like a lot of you, and I'm not proud of this, I come home and I'm so tempted when I come home to say, well, I finally deserve for it to be about me. So I'll walk through the door and, and I'll see Kim and, 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 I, and I'm so selfless and wonderful. I'll say to her, hey, honey, how was your day? And, and she'll tell me, and what, what's my expectation that she's going to do next? <laughs> how was yours, honey? And, and, and sometimes she doesn't say anything. She just continues on with what she's doing. And I feel so hurt. It's not funny. I feel so hurt. <laughs> I feel so hurt. 
and I feel so entitled. And then again, men, aren't we just like little babies sometimes? I feel so hurt inside. So I actually throw something out. I say, well, you know, I met with so-and-so at 11 o'clock today and it was, you know, kind of a difficult meeting. And I'm expecting her to say, well, tell me how it was so difficult, Jamie. And she's still doing what she's doing and she's not into what I'm saying. And, and before you know it, I'm just, I'm going to go upstairs. You're going to be that way. I'll be that way. Well, what am I doing at that moment? We laugh at it, but it's all about me. And see, God at that moment just sabotages my soul and he says, stop making it about you. Love me, love others, and the joy that you're looking for will come. But here's the deal. Joy is always a byproduct. It never comes from directly seeking it. And that's what our world never understands. We think that to get joy, we have to seek it directly. No, joy is always a byproduct. Remember this? We learned this last year. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, so joy is a fruit, it's a byproduct that comes through seeking God, through seeking other people. You seek joy for joy's sake, that's what Jesus is saying here, you will lose it, you'll never find it. But it's a discipline of the soul to say that I'm gonna love those around me, I'm gonna love God first and foremost. A closing thought, I, I, as I mentioned to you guys a few weeks ago, I, I need to learn to pace myself better and balance myself better and all that. And some of you ask me how I'm doing. I'm really, I'm doing great and all that. Um, you know, one of the things I did a few years back that was very meaningful to me is I, I wrote down in my, back then it was so long ago, it was a Palm Pilot, now it'd be a phone, but I, I, I just wrote down a little list of what my priorities are in life. And I can remember this as clear as the noonday sun is because it's so, so, so simple to some of you, but I, I remember clarifying back in the 90s that my priorities were gonna be in this order, God, Kim, Hannah, Abby, and Paul, and then my church. And then that was huge to me because it's four sets of people, the Lord, and then my wife, and then my children, and then the church. And really for the last 20 years, I've tried really hard to say that those are my God-given priorities. You know what hit me this week? And I guess I was kind of glad about this, but what hit me this week is there, there was nothing about me in that. I mean, again, if this was many people in the world today, they would have said, well, don't, don't forget to include you. <laughs> And again, I know it's complex. I know that there are times with some of us who have been massively codependent and enmeshed and you know, need to, to do self-care. Don't hear me saying that. I'm not, that's a different issue. Jesus is speaking here on a much more broad and general level. At the end of the day, saying it really isn't about you. It's about him and his glory. It's about his purposes for your life, which is to love others and live an other-centered, God-infused life. And that as you do that, he promises you'll find the life that you're looking for. But you gotta believe him and you gotta do it. You gotta adjust. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the hard-hitting but so very real words of Jesus here today. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that as each of us give very personal thought to our own lives when it comes to what it means to lose our life in Christ, that God, by your power of your Holy Spirit, whom we prayed would be with us, you would speak to these dear people here and at Cactus and, and, and at Mountain Valley and, Lord, at Venue and at the chapel next door. God, speak to us each individually and as a congregation. Uh, Father, I pray for some of us here today that this, who this might be new to, that, God, you would help us to dig deep in our souls, to audit our daily interactions and experiences, and in a gentle way you do, God, uh, convict us and get us on the straight and narrow path that you have for us that leads to you. So Lord, that's my prayer. Empower us, I pray. Never give up on us in your grace, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.